Hello and welcome to this week's X's and Opinions. Thank you so much for joining WSU Sports on this episode of X's and Opinions. We have Chris Ellison and Kali Smith. We have a jam-packed rundown for you guys. But first, before we get into it, I want to get a sense of how you guys are doing on this fine Sunday afternoon. Kali, how are you feeling? Yeah, man, I can't complain. The weather's good, so can't complain about that. So I'm doing good. I'm doing good, too. I'm ready to get started and ready to get this episode underway. That's what I like to hear. And we have a jam-packed episode, which we are going to start off with some hoops talk in the NBA. We are now in the second half of the season. The All-Star break, All-Star game break is over. And now things can start to get heated between the standings, MVP races, trades, and all that, injuries. And I just want to jump right off with some news that we saw recently and this is lebron james he sprained his ankle he had a high ankle, high ankle sprain and he's going to be out indefinitely and he was kind of maybe on his way to another mvp you know type season but this is kind of off the script this is just came to my mind right now i want to get chris what are your thoughts on this injury and what this could mean for the lakers um obviously the lakers are going to lose lose a marginable amount of games. They might drop to the fourth or fifth seed, but I honestly, I really don't think it matters that much. The Lakers are built for the playoffs, essentially. The regular season is really just conditioning for them, to be honest with you. So, hence the reason why they're being so cautious with AD at the moment. So, I just feel like it, it, it's not – it's a big deal, obviously. You want – you hate to see LeBron go down. You hate to see that. But for the Lakers, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, yeah, I agree with Chris as well. Um, you know, with LeBron and AD out, I think that is a big deal. Um, in terms of the MVP race, obviously we had Joel Embiid in the, uh, in the front of the MVP race, but, you know, given his injuries, he didn't, you know, he's not, you know, currently, he's currently out. Uh, LeBron, he was a front runner. People are start, start trying to say, you know, he's out. So, um, you know, there's more people that can, you know, be the front runners like Jokic and, uh, you know, Damian Lillard, those players that can be uh, front, runner, front runners for the MVP. Most definitely. And we'll touch more on the MVP race in just a moment. But the Lakers, this is this is a tough blow. The leader of the team, the, the face of the NBA goes down indefinitely. There's not there's not even a timetable for when he's coming back. And we saw. His first time around with the Lakers, he had that groin injury on Christmas and he was out for a significant amount of time when he had the team fourth place in um, in the West. And then they really dropped down to around the eighth seed and they missed the playoffs entirely. This team is built for the playoffs. Um, and keep in mind, they, they're they playing on very, very short rest in terms of last season after winning the title. So injuries could have been... Um, uh, a forethought thinking forward towards those injuries and LeBron has been playing a lot of minutes. He, he was almost expected to sit out almost a month of the season, but he decided not to, and he kept playing and playing. And then, you know, being in year 18, all those miles on that body, it can, it can wear down. It can wear somebody down. Right. And we've seen LeBron be almost invincible. So every so often when he gets an injury, it's always surprising. It's always the, the talk of, sports for that moment and him being out is plus with ad they're gonna they're gonna lose games and this means players are gonna step up like kyle kuzma and uh kcp these players so um and tht as well so a lot of young players are gonna have to step up 
and, and play a lot better. So the Lakers, one of the contenders for the championship, this could really change and shape out the playoff seating towards the end. But now, but now going in to some of the contenders other than the Lakers, I want to get a sense of what do you guys think are some of the strongest teams now in the second half of the season that really have a chance at taking the title either West or East. Kali, what do you think? Uh, yeah, obviously people are going to say the Nets and the Lakers, probably the two best teams for winning the finals. But I think there are some other teams in the East and West, uh, the East being the Heat. I feel like they're they're slept on simply because, you know, they made the finals last year. But, you know, people, you know, were kind of saying, you know, it's COVID, you know, they got lucky. But I feel like this season uh, – Early on, the predictions, you know, were kind of right, given that they did look sloppy. Uh, they didn't have Jimmy Butler for, I think, 10-plus games because he was dealing with COVID protocols. But, you know, Jimmy Butler's back. All their players are back. And I think in their last 10 games, they're like 7-3. Uh, and three. And Jimmy Butler was playing good, you know, putting up 21 points per game, you know, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. So Jimmy Butler, coupled with all these players that gel nicely together, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, dangerous in the playoffs. And, you know, who knows, you know, after this trade deadline, uh, they might add another piece. Uh, I'd say the 76ers, uh, the Clippers, obviously, uh, Lakers, obviously, and the, the Nets, but it switches almost every day with the Nets because I consistently see terrible defense. With the Nets the other day, they lost to the Magic, who was one of the worst offensive teams in the league. They let Aaron Gordon drop 38 points, which is a, is a career high. That just – it just – it doesn't – it doesn't make me feel confident that they can really win a seven-game series against, a, honestly, a middle-of-the-barrel offensive team. Obviously, the offense is historically great. You have three – of probably the best players we've seen in the past 50 years. So, obviously, the offense is great, but I just don't think the Nets will have it when it comes to defense in the playoffs. But they're obviously a contender just based off their offense alone. Oh, without a doubt. And I, I'm on the same boat with the Nets. They, they're obviously built for a championship. They, they are going for it all. But when you see that defense, just as, as horrible as it is, and they've lost to a lot of bad teams, um, and they they are struggling with injury. They they are they have the eye towards the playoffs. So they they are trying to you know treat KD very very gingerly. Don't want to rush him back as the as the Golden State Warriors did in that playoff run that ended up tearing his Achilles. But the the Nets they have a lot of defensive issues that could potentially bring a lot of problems in the playoffs because once the playoffs start, you know, anything can happen. But, you know, since it's a seven-game series, that they, their offense is always going to explode on any given night. Um, in terms of contenders, I really like the Bucks on the East because of Giannis. He's still there. He's still playing at a high level. And it's they were they had the best record in the NBA last year. Um, and it's not like they're falling off a cliff. Most of the players are still back. Uh, it's almost like... We don't want to give them as much credit because they haven't been playing well in the playoffs. But I feel like when you have, let's say it's a Nets-Bucks matchup, Giannis can really go to town because of that defense. The one thing Giannis really struggles with is great defenses. And if the Nets face up against Giannis and they don't have anybody to stop him, I mean, it's going to be really tough for the Nets to 
really contain the two-time MVP. So I like the Bucks, and on the West, I do like the Phoenix Suns. They are the three seed with Chris Paul, that addition, and we saw them go 8-0 and in the bubble last season. And that's when people started opening their eyes towards the Suns and, you know, things were looking up. That franchise has been on the downward spiral for the longest, but I feel like that 8-0 run in the bubble last year, even though they didn't make the playoffs, but that run really, I feel like, was the turning point of the franchise. And now they're, they're kind of on an upward swing with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Macau Bridges, and, of course, Chris Paul, who has definitely been such an instrumental piece, instrumental piece in teaching these young players because it's a very young team, but really coaching them up and, like, guiding them on the and showing his wisdom. And then Devin Booker is just a bucket. So the Phoenix Suns, they could potentially do some damage, and I like their youth. So there's some of the contenders. Now I want to get some of your teams that are, have been playing well, but you you don't have that faith in them as you don't consider them as a contender. We'll call them pretenders. Kali, who do you see as a pretender in, in both leagues? What do you think? Um, I think the obvious are the uh, Utah Jazz and Phoenix Suns simply because I don't think they're on the likes of, you know, the Lakers and the Nets, the Nets or maybe even the Clippers, which are, you know, sitting comfortably in the uh, Western Conference. I just don't think they're consistent enough. Uh, but I'm probably just going to name some obvious teams that, you know, they, they'll probably make the playoffs, but, you know, they're not making the, you know, the finals. So the Atlanta Hawks, um, who are currently in fifth place, you know, they just added uh, Nate McMillan as a head coach who recently coached the Pacers. And I, I believe the Hawks are 8-0 uh, with McMillan as their coach. Um, Trey Young's doing well. And obviously John Collins is in the rumors, but uh, I think – you know, they, they, they can seriously contend for a playoff spot, but they're not making the NBA Finals. Uh, I'd say the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Suns, and the Bucks. I say the Nuggets because injuries year after year have got them. Uh, inconsistencies in the playoffs have got them. Jamal Murray is – Jamal Murray could be Kobe Bryant one game, and then he could be Kwame Brown the next game. It's just – it's just not – He's not a consistent player. Jokic can only do so much by himself. Um, Will Barton has been injury prone for the last three seasons. Um, I say the Jazz because the Jazz just don't have enough consistent scoring for me to feel like they can actually win a seven-game series comfortably. They've done it before, but I just I don't see them doing it against top teams like the Lakers, um, Clippers, even the Suns, honestly. Um, I say the Suns are con are pretenders because their experience experience in the playoffs just beats anything. Um, we saw that we saw that honestly last year with the Lakers and the Heat. We saw we saw experience versus non-experience. It was it was even a big thing every every day. ESPN was talking about the lack of experience on the Heat. It's just because it's it's a real thing. Experience can beat almost anything you throw at it. Um, and I say the Bucks because. It's been well documented Giannis' struggles with certain defenses in the playoffs. And I just they Chris Middleton isn't isn't really a true two. He's not really a, a true second fiddle for me to really feel like he can carry the team when Giannis goes to the bench. Um they have Boz they have um their bench is kind of suspect. I really don't think they can 
when Giannis goes out, when Chris Middleton goes out, they become one of the worst offensive rated teams in the league. So it's just it's just not it's just not there for me to really have faith in them. Well, it looks like you were just going against all my contenders and calling them pretenders. Um, well, I'm going to do the same. Um, honestly, I feel like the 76ers don't have it within them to be a contender. Um, I don't have faith in Ben Simmons as of yet. I have He has a great upside, and we've been saying this for years, but his ability to just really disappear at times, first of all, in the playoffs, and also not be able to shoot or even take jumpers, um, that that right there is a nail in the coffin for that team. But once he figures that out, then it's then it's lights out. He's only averaging 15 points um, a game, 15 and eight. But I mean, if you're Ben Simmons, you want to be in that around 20 points per game average. And then that's when things could really get going. Joel Embiid is playing outstanding. I know he is injured, but he's playing outstanding. But he needs help. He's going to need help. Tobias Harris has also been playing well. But 76, I just don't. I don't have faith in them in in really getting um, far in the playoffs. They can they could get to the Western uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, but I don't see them making it to the finals at all. I mean the Knicks. I mean the Knicks are at in the sixth seed. Um, I I'm very happy to see them in the playoff picture right now. I can say they're a pretender because I don't think they're going to be able to keep that up for much longer. But they are the number one defense in the NBA right now. So if we're talking fantasy land, if we get the Knicks and the Nets, number one defense versus number one offense, both in New York, that'll that'll be some some firepower. That that'll be the talk of the NBA the entire series if that happens. What do you guys think about that series? What do you think, Kali? Uh, I think that would be a, a pretty good series. I mean, we saw what uh, the Nets and the Knicks did. I think it was a you know a game about a week ago. Uh, the Knicks, they were, you know, doing well defensively. Um, the Nets were up, but the Knicks were able to, you know, come back with a lot of threes and such. But I just don't think the Knicks can beat Brooklyn. I think they're too offensively sound. Plus, KD wasn't playing in that game. So imagine adding KD, you know, Harden and Kyrie. And one of those guys is your third option. So I don't think, I don't think defense can stop a better offense. See, I might get a lot of flack for this, but I, I can I can honestly sit here and say that the Knicks could give the Nets a run for their money because the saying is defense wins championships. You don't offense can win you games, but defense wins championships. And I just I do not believe in the Nets defense whatsoever. Now the Knicks they have they they do have some firepower. You have quickly coming off the bench. Julius is doing his thing this year. Don't forget they added D Rose. Don't forget Alec Alec Burks is a is a microwave when he gets going. So I just I don't that they can the, the Knicks can surprise a lot of people in that series. So I wouldn't I wouldn't just write them off completely as oh this is sweep, it's done with. Like the Knicks could really give the Nets a run for their money. So Christopher Ellison, can I get you on the record saying that you would like the Knicks over the Nets in a series in what, six games? You think the Nets will get them? I, I wouldn't say six. I say the, the Knicks can beat him in seven. You can give me on the record saying that. You can give me on the record saying that. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Christopher Ellison picks, if this was to happen, obviously, and there's a lot of dominoes that still need to fall for that, but 
He thinks the Knicks could defeat the Nets in seven games, correct? Yes, seven games. All right. Well, we'll we'll wait and see if that situation even happens. But if it ha- listen, you could either be one totally right or one hundred percent wrong. Kali, you you wouldn't go that right that route, right? Nah, I wouldn't. I, I would like to uh, put some money on oh. uh, Chris. You know about you know large considerable amount of money for that oh. to happen. All right, so I'm, uh, what are we talking here? I'm talking to Chris. All right, I mean, yeah, we all right, we'll, we'll, we'll settle this. We'll settle this some other time. But <laughs> we'll we'll definitely put some money on the table. I'll moderate it and make sure everything's all legal and whatnot. So those are some of the contenders and pretenders in the league. But now let's go into some more of individual talk. We kind of hinted at it when we talked about the Lakers in the beginning. But now the MVP race in the second half of the season now obviously automatically heats up. Now with the half to go, we are in the home stretch of the season. There are players that are injured, players are playing well, players that are kind of going down. So in the upwards and downwards trend of the MVP race, who is, who are some of your front runners? Chris, what do you think? I have Dame. I have Dame's averaging 31, 5, and 8. I have Joel, 30, 12, and 5. I have Steph, 29, 29 5, and 6. Jokic, 27, 11, and 9. And Braun with 26, 8, and 8. Now, Braun is obviously going to drop because he got injured. And a high angle sprain could take anywhere from three to four weeks to heal. So he's obviously going to be lower in the picture than he was before he got injured. But but I really think that, honestly, it could be Dame's year to win. Because Dame is going crazy this year. And it's not it's not being talked about enough because we're used to this. He does this every year, but his efficiency this year, what we're what they're doing, they've had a tremendous amount of injuries. So I just think where they're at and what he's doing, it, it just it can't be understated. Uh, yeah, probably Embiid was uh, early on an MVP contender, but you know he's out, LeBron's out. So I think Jokic. You know, I think we've seen glimpses of Jokic's dominance. But I think that really showed in the last years in the playoffs. You know, right now he's averaging about 27 points per game, 11 rebounds, eight assists. And I, I like the combo with uh, Nikola Jokic and, uh, you know, Jamal Murray. I think one thing uh, Jokic can improve in is, uh, you know, defense. But I, th- I think he's shown gl- glimpses of that. Uh, another person is Dame Tom, Damian Lillard. I think Lillard's ability to put up these MVP caliber numbers, you know, single-handedly with CJ, you know, right now coming back, I think it just speaks to how Lillard is one of the best players in the NBA constantly. And, you know, we saw what we can, what he can do, you know, dropping 50 and winning, winning it all against the Pelicans uh, on a free throw. So I think him being able, being a cut, a clutch player and putting up big numbers efficiently is why I think he deserves uh, to be at least in the top three at this given moment. Most definitely. And we see Damian Lillard put up these numbers almost almost on a year-to-year basis. And he's so underrated. He gets his recognition and he's beloved by fans and players alike. But what he's doing now, they're currently the sixth seed in the West and in a very top-heavy West. So one thing for Dame, if I feel like if, if he can get them to a, a round of four seed, maybe even a three seed in the West, which is definitely very hard to do. But if he can do, if he can manage to do that and, and put the team on his back, especially with CJ McCollum coming back, 
I think that it'll be a serious case for MVP honors for him. Love me some Steph Curry. I missed him. I miss seeing him playing all last year. It's the NBA is so much better with him playing, right? And now people are kind of like getting some more appreciation for Curry because there was a point where I feel like when they had that super team up in, in Golden State, he was kind of, you know, forgotten when KD was not forgotten, but, you know, you know, subdued. But now that he's there by himself, we can really see the numbers he can put up. Another play I want to throw into the ring a little bit. This might come out of left field, but Chris Paul, what he's been able to do with that Phoenix Suns team, I mean, they're number two right now in the West. Nobody in their right minds believed that the Suns would be at all, at any point, be a number two seed. And especially this late into the season already in the second half. So that this is mainly because of Chris Paul's impact on the floor and how he's able to direct traffic and really mold young minds. And then another year of Devin Booker and then another year for DeAndre Ayton. But he's really the glue that really is making things work down there in Phoenix. So like he might be a dark horse MVP type player, especially he's what, 33 now. So like people kind of already written him off as an old guy, a veteran and stuff like that, but he was an all-star. He's still got a lot in the tank, and, and I really like what he's been doing this season. So, Chris Paul, congrats to him and the Suns, and uh, we'll see if they're going to be able to keep that keep that up. And now flipping the coin onto the players that we kind of had high expectations for this season, and we could have seen them in the MVP race, but are not now. They've been underperforming maybe um, due to injury or they're just having a down year. Um, Chris, who are who are some of your you know MVP floppers of the year? Of the year? Uh, <clears throat> I definitely have to throw AD in there. Um, a lot of this isn't his fault. A lot of it is injuries. But even before the injuries, um, AD was just he just we we everybody could see it. he wasn't playing like the AD we all know he can play like. And I don't know what it was. Um, his shooting shooting percentages were horrible. He was settling for a lot more threes instead of just taking it into the post like he usually does. Um, I think a lot of it is championship hangover, but I just I can't I can't give a player that great a pass like that. So I have to say he's had a disappointing season. And this next one, he wasn't necessarily even if he had a great season, wasn't necessarily going to be in the MVP race, but his his um regression this year, you know, his regression really started again last year in the bubble. And that's um Pascal Siakam. Um I just think Pascal is he's just he's not polished enough to really have a consistent career in the NBA. Um, we all see it. He only he only has one go to move, and that's dribble with his right, spin to the center and try to throw up a crazy shot, which usually never goes in. Um, we all we really saw it last year in the in a bubble against um, Boston when they really shut him down. So I just I just I'm really disappointed in his season this year. I feel like he could have had a 25 and 10 season easily, but I just I don't know what's going on with him. But he's just he really just he's really disappointed me this year. Uh, I would probably say uh, KD. Now, obviously, this isn't his fault. You know, he's missed games with a hamstring injury and COVID-19 protocols, but we know what KD can do when he's on the court. You know, this season he's averaging about, you know, 29 points per game. Uh, but I don't I don't believe KD has performed enough to be, you know, considered an MVP. Other than that, I think, you know, every MVP contender has been playing well. 
I think Luka Doncic, um, you know, given that his team has a, you know, they've had a, a lackluster performance, you know, team-wise, you know, even though Doncic has been playing well. And, you know, when they, when, you know, during the preseason, Luka Doncic was considered one of the top runners for the MVP race. And I think the Mavericks struggling is what's soiling his chances of winning MVP, even though he's been putting up big uh, MVP numbers. Yeah, Luca for me was my was the guy that I was kind of disappointed in, and he was the number one odds-on favorite preseason MVP voted by um, I forget who, was, who voted for it, but he was voted the odds-on favorite for MVP this year. And I could have expected it. He had a stellar couple seasons already, and the Mavericks are right now in eighth seed. They're twenty and twenty-one, and there's still I mean a bunch of injuries with uh, Porzingis, but seeing him kind of not really in the thick of things in the conversation is kind of disappointing for me. Uh, Jason Tatum, uh, haven't the, the Boston Celtics have really been underperforming and I, I feel like he has the type to, you know, really get into the MVP conversation. He's been playing well, but, but still, there's still a lot left to be desired. I mean, I feel like Jalen Brown's having a better season, um, but no, these are some great players. Uh, Anthony Davis. I mean, he he had a great season last season in his first year in L.A. This year, riddled with injury, but even before, you know, didn't have much to give as he only he didn't have not even 20 points per game. So he was definitely struggling, but that could have been fatigue from winning a championship. And that's very that's good and dandy with KD. I want to I want to answer the KD point you mentioned. I feel like it's very difficult to win MVP when you have a team full of full of stars like like um, Brooklyn has. Um when that's why you saw players like Curry, KD, and Klay Thompson not win MVP when they were in Golden State. I feel like they were just they they helped each other too much. But then in the same situation here with KD and this one with Harden and and Kyrie, Kyrie's been playing absolutely phenomenal. He might be a sneaky MVP candidate too. He's averaging 27. Um, just that I feel like he won't get it because he's in Brooklyn and he's surrounded by all these stars. So so these are some of the floppers. Um, with with some high expectations where I haven't really been playing as well. But now I want to transition now to the trade deadline, which is rapidly approaching. And we're starting to see some trades and we expect to see a lot more trades um, coming in. So we saw PJ Tucker go to the Bucks, which I believe is an absolute phenomenal move for the Bucks. It's almost like a perfect fit, a shooter to pair with Giannis. Great. And, and Houston, I feel like it's not going anywhere. So I feel like it's a good, good trade for the Bucks. But what are what are your thoughts on the PJ Tucker trade and what are some more trades that you feel like should happen for a player, for a team? Chris, what do you think? I, I personally love the PJ Tucker trade. I think that was a great trade. It gives him another wing that can defend, that can knock down shots. When Giannis is a, when Giannis is double teamed, just kick it to PJ in the corner. And that shot is almost money every time. I think that, that move could win them a game or two in a playoffs alone because PJ is that valuable to that championship team. Um, I'd also say I like I love the Kevin Porter to the Nets. To the, I mean, not to the Nets, the Rockets move. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people wrote him off when he got released when he or when he got traded from Cleveland. And Kevin Porter is just a pure, pure bucket getter. Um, if you need a bucket, just get him the ball and get out the way. I really love that move. And this wasn't a recent move, but James Harden to the Nets. For obvious reasons, that that move he's putting he's putting up crazy numbers, averaging 
a triple double since he got there. I just I'm I like I love the way he's transformed his game into like a real, real true point guard. He was he was a point guard before, but it wasn't an efficient point guard. Now he's being efficient, taking smart shots, making the right passes. So and I, this is a sleeper move. Not a lot of people have talked about this, but Tommy Diallo to the Pistons is a great, great move for the Pistons. You get another scorer, another young player who's really coming to his own. He's having a great year this year, so I like those three moves. Yeah, I would probably uh, agree with Chris on the P.J. Tucker to the Bucks trade. Honestly, I think he could have been a great fit on the Suns, you know, uh, given that he's so versatile. Um, you know, he can play – he can guard one through five. One through five, you know, he really thrives with, you know, facilitators like Chris Paul and James Harden. You know, all, all he has to do is really sit in the corner and shoot threes while, you know, Chris Paul, you know, scores. So I think he's proven to be one of the, you know, top corner three-point shooters in the NBA. And, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. is such a, you know, you know, great fit for uh, the Rockets as well, as Chris mentioned. No, these are some great trades, and we're, we have the potential to see some more great trades. But one I want to highlight as well is, um, don't know if it can be really considered a trade, but uh, Blake Griffin to the Nets. That's, I feel like that's just... The the thing that gets him over the top was like, oh, my goodness, this team is now turning into a super team. When you have uh, there's a point where Blake Griffin was in the top top five for MVP when he's had those seasons back in the Lob City days. Right. And now putting him in the fourth role after he's been he's been struggling in Detroit. But I just feel like his fit in Detroit wasn't the best. There was a series where Blake was injured in the first round and he played against uh, LeBron's Cleveland team and he did absolutely phenomenal and he was injured. I feel like that was the last we saw of good Blake. But then ever since then, it's just been a real tough stretch for him. But I, th this potential that he could be coming back very soon, even um, at the time we're recording this, he'd be coming back today, Sunday. So this is uh, this could be a very great fit for the Nets in their championship run. This could be the, the thing that puts him over the top. Um, but now those are the trades that we've seen so far. But now what are some trades that you guys feel like need to happen? What, what else has to happen before the trade deadline comes to a close that you feel like can benefit some teams that are trying to get to the playoffs, trying to get to the championship, and some teams that are trying to, you know, dump salary in and try to rebuild? Kali, what do you think? Uh, yeah, we've heard so many talks of Kyle Lowry and Bradley Bill getting traded. You know, Lowry said – you know, stop the rumors. I'm not, I'm staying with the Raptors, or at least he's retiring as a Raptor and Ball, uh, and Beal isn't moving uh, from the Wizards. So uh, Lonzo Ball, I think would be a, a good trade, uh, you know, simply because I know he can add value to a team that needs a point guard like the Knicks or the Clippers. Uh, personally, I think he would be a great fit for the Clippers. Uh, you know, he's averaging around 14 points per game and five assists. Uh, he's shooting, you know, 38% from the three, uh, which is, you know, his career high. So although he's not really a big offensive weapon, you, you got guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as the primary weapon. So ball can, you know, effectively play on and off the ball. So with Lonzo being a facilitator, you know, with those, you know, MVP type uh, caliber players, I think the Clippers are going to be scary coming out of the uh, stacked Western Conference. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a great point. I was going to say Lonzo to the Clippers too because honestly, the only thing holding the Clippers back from winning a, a championship 
besides their major collapse against um, Denver is a true, true point guard that can really facilitate, give everyone, get every, get everyone involved. Patrick Beverly is cool, but he's not an offensive point guard. He honestly runs around and does nothing, to be honest with you. Um, like Russell said, Russell Westbrook. Um, Reggie Jackson is not – Reggie Jackson is inconsistent. He's not He's not a defensive point guard at all. Anybody can blow by Reggie Jackson, even my grandmother. Um, I also would love to see Andre Drummond go to the Lakers or the Nets. I think whoever gets – whichever one of those teams get Andre Drummond will – be the championship will win the championship this year because while yes Andre Drummond does put up some empty empty numbers sometimes and we've seen him do some stupid stuff this year but he is a very valuable center who can do anything you ask him to even honestly which is surprising this year facilitate the ball in some instances so I think whoever gets Andre Drummond will win the championship this year well it looks like the main talks for Andre Drummond have been the Lakers and the Nets so two of the top contenders for the championship could be one piece away. And it'll be interesting to see if the Nets have much cap room for Andre Drummond, if they're able to take on his contract, because with all the those players already on there already, the Lakers feel like they have to get a big for the playoffs. Um, they've been missing a big all season. They've been relying on Marcus Gasol, but, you know, after losing Dwight and JaVale McGee, which JaVale McGee is on the market as well, being on the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, many, uh, the reports that many contender, contending teams have been asking for JaVale. And so he can be an impactful big moving forward to a, to a big name team. The Marcus Aldridge potentially of the Spurs has had a down season, but maybe in the right situation can really add a spark and revitalize his, his kind of mundane play over the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's a plenty of direction that we can move towards and and many players can really can really benefit. Just we saw Trevor Ariza get traded and Tory Craig get traded. So trades galore are happening. Um, so now switching over to the NFL. Let's uh, hoops are done. NFL, it's, it's in the offseason, but there's so much to talk about in terms of NFL free agency and NFL offseason. And there's been a lot of trades, a lot of signings, a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts in the NFL landscape. And I want to get a sense of what do you guys feel like have been the absolute splashes in the offseason? Which ones have been the ones that really got it right and can really elevate teams from wherever position they are? Um, Chris, what do you think? What are some of the offseason trades or signings that you like? Um, I love the Matt Stafford to the Rams trade. I think the Rams got, <clears throat> the Rams got a major upgrade over Jared Goff. Um, an experienced veteran who still has a lot left in the tank. So I think – I really think he can take him over the hump. Um, I love the um, Kyle Rudolph signing, the Giants. Um, I think that was the, a a great, great signing. You get a, a security blanket. You get a Pro Bowl tight end who doesn't drop the ball like Evan Ingram does. Um and I love the Dak Prescott re-signing. That was a no-brainer move, but there was a point in time where we felt like um, he wasn't going to re-sign. He was going to go somewhere. They were going to have to franchise tag him, and that would be the end of it. Um, and, oh, a sleeper move that no one really talks about is A.J. Green to the Cardinals. I feel like that move, if we get the old A.J. Green before the before the injury, that they can they can easily be a top three offense in the league this year. 
Yeah. Uh, Chris mentioned the uh, uh, Kyle Rudolph uh, to the Giants. Um, I think Kenny Galladay signing with the Giants was a good signing. Four years, $72 million. Um, I think Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, they're pretty good wide, receiver, wide receivers, but I don't think they're that first option that Dan, uh, Daniel Jones needs to be like a great quarterback. Um, the Giants could draft another, uh, another wide receiver, but I think signing Gallaud, uh, Kenny Galladay means that they think he's a proven wide receiver in the league. And if they compete, if the Giants can compete with the offensive weapons that they've added, I think they can, you know, make it, make it to the playoffs. And we saw the Giants last season be the number, the, the leading team in the NFC East, right? After going down five in a row to start the season, but they were in first place and they had the, one of the top defensives in the NFL. So if the defense and the secondary can play as they did towards the middle and the back half of the season, this past season, and then you add Kyle Rudolph and Kenny Galladay to an improving Daniel Jones, um, who still has a lot of, a lot of to prove. I feel like Kenny Galladay is what he needs to really take it, take another step. That roster is now kind of getting some identity. I feel like it still needs a little more development, but still, I mean, these are, these are some things that, Giants fans everywhere have been wanting, you know, some more offensive weapons, but now they just got to fix up that offensive line. Um, but the Giants moves is great. I love the AJ Green move to the Cardinals and JJ Watts to the Cardinals as well. So the Cardinals, they are really making a move to try to, in that stacked NFC West, they have a lot to prove. They, they were mostly seen as the third best team. Well, I mean, now that it's up for grabs, how well we've seen, um, the Rams play. So that division has been, is, is up for grabs next year. I feel like when you have Russell Wilson in Seattle and then great defense in, in San, uh, San Francisco. So the Cardinals making moves like this, I feel like really can help them get to the top of that division. Uh, I really like those moves as well. And Matt Stafford, I mean, the Rams really, really won that trade because golf, I feel like, wasn't really helping them much. And then now golf to the, the Detroit Lions. It's kind of really sad to say, but we might this might be the last few seen of Jared Goff. He can be easily forgotten, and his career might even just peacefully fade to black over there in Detroit, um, which is sad to say. But unless he puts up MVP numbers, it's going to be a really tough situation for him. So those are some of the splashes in the off season. And what are some trades that you would like to see happen um, that still need to happen before the end of the off season, any signings, any trades that can really elevate any teams um, and get better to that next level. What do you think, Kali? Uh, probably Deshaun Johnson, uh, Deshaun Watson, um, you know, uh, who has told the Texas he does want to get traded. I think he can, you know, provide some type of value for another team. Obviously he's unhappy with the Texans and I really don't want to see, you know, talent wasted, especially Deshaun Watson, who's a proven talent in the league. Um, I'd say the Seahawks and the Ravens getting a, a solid offensive line because when you have quarterbacks that valuable that can do that much with their feet and their arms, it's just you got to get them offensive line. I think that's what's that's what's really holding the Seahawks back from really winning a championship is their offensive line. Their offensive line last year was atrocious. Russell Wilson got hit way too much. 
And he's been on the record saying that, which is why he's been threatening to leave if they don't get an offensive line. And Lamar Jackson, in, in addition to an offensive line, they need to get more receivers for him. The the um, the knock on him is that, oh, can't throw a deep ball, can't do this. But if your receivers can't get open, I don't really know what else you want the guy to do. So I think those three moves for those teams, those teams will help them get over the hump. And – I kind of want to get into the Deshaun Watson talk and get a sense of what do you guys think would be the best fit for him? There, there's been talks about the Dolphins and the Jets and, and, a, and a bunch of other teams. What do you think would be the best situation for him and the team? Like, what's the, the best marriage between him and the team, Chris? Like, uh, who who should the – which team should get Deshaun Watson? I would love to see Deshaun on the Broncos because you paired Deshaun with Corlin Sutton – you have Jerry Judy. You have Noah Fant. That you still have Philip. No, Philip Lindsay just signed somewhere else. But you still have solid, solid offensive players. You have great playmakers. All they're missing is a quarterback. And I would also love to see him go to the Jets, just because young coach. They're re, re, re they're rebuilding, but they're also retooling. They still have some great players on there. Um, they still have C.J. Mosley. Can't forget about C.J. Mosley. So I would love to see those two teams try to get them. Yeah, I think I agree uh, with Chris. Uh, the Broncos would be a pretty good fit. Um, I would say the Chicago Bears, but they've already signed Andy Dalton. Um, you know, the Bears missed up on uh, Watson uh, when they passed passed him in the draft for uh, Mitchell Trubisky. So they could have they the Bears could have added some great value. Um, but they've, they've missed on it. So I guess the Broncos would be a good fit for, for uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and we just saw Mitch Trubisky get signed to the Bills, very interestingly enough. So we'll see how that works out. But, I mean, there could have been also talks. Who knows? The Saints were in need of a quarterback. Obviously, they had Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill. But if Deshaun Watson is on the market, he's, he's arguably a top-five quarterback in the league right now, if you need to fill that spot and if you can fill it with Deshaun Watson, that'd be great. Um, I like Miami. Um, I don't know if they're really sold on Tunga Valo and having him down there with a really, really good defense and they are up and coming in that AFC East. The Broncos is tough because when you have Patrick Mahomes in the same division, when you have Justin Herbert in the same division and are in a pretty okay Raiders team that can very offensively driven Raiders team and Derek Carr he had a he had a better season last season but if you add Deshaun Watson into that mix that'll just be a a death battle all season and especially having Patrick Mahomes there it's really really tough to I guess be see the Chiefs two times a year and and win out being how good they've been playing ever since Mahomes got there so I feel like that's also something that Watson has to take in consideration. He has all the power now. He has a something in a, a clause where he has to sign off on the trade. So wherever he's going is going to be somewhere where he wants to go. And I do like Miami. The Jets, I if I if he goes to the Jets, I feel like he's doing a huge mistake. The Jets have been a ravaged franchise for so long and they definitely need to move on from Sam Darnold. I feel like they had Trevor Lawrence at the tip of their fingers and they decided to fumble it. And that's exactly what I feel like they fumbled that. I feel like they can fumble Deshaun Watson. So um, 
he is the biggest domino I feel like to fall in this season. And then now I want to get a sense on some of the ma- the biggest improvements of teams. So Kali, which teams have gotten better since the off season? Quickly, what are what are the teams that have improved so far? Uh, obviously, probably the Patriots, considering that they just signed a lot of good players. I think the Patriots kind of took a step back defensively. So I think Bill Belichick, uh, Bill Belichick was really focusing on that while, you know, also upgrading some of the Patriots offensive pieces. So signing guys like Jalen Mills and uh, Matthew Judon and uh, John O. Smith, you know, who can add some offensive and defensive versus uh, versatility. So, yeah, I think the Patriots, uh, while they have dropped the ball, I, they have at, uh, added some good pieces. Now, I think it's just a mat, uh, matter of if they can mesh together and be a, a top dog in their division. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I love the Patriots move. I especially love that they gave Cam a, a second chance because I think a lot of outside factors played into the way Cam played last year with his COVID, his COVID um, diagnosis and missing a few weeks with, with that team. Um, the fact that he has to learn a whole new system in this crazy environment, um, the way the offseason played out last year. So I I like that. I also like the the Bucks. They didn't they didn't sign they didn't really sign anybody new. They just got back all their key players, all the key players that played a key role in that um and winning the um, Super Bowl last year. So I think the the Patriots and the Bucks improved a lot. For sure, when you see a team get back all their players after a Super Bowl run, I mean that's cause for probably maybe even more repeated success. Um, the Giants really improved, I believe, getting Galladay and Rudolph and really reworking the team and making sure to add some improvements to help Daniel Jones out. And then the Cardinals. The Cardinals, when you get A.J. Green and J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt's still impactful on the defensive side, and you're pairing with Patrick Patterson and uh, Isaiah Simmons. There, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on in Arizona. But that's the NFL. And some, some news that broke – a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, and in light of the NCAA tournament, we saw how the women's side of the tournament was getting far less treatment or far worse treatment than the men's. There was a video that came out on TikTok, I believe, where they showed off the weight room, how it was just a rack of dumbbells. And it was just one rack of dumbbells, and that's all. And then the men got a whole big complex filled with weights and bars and everything you would need for a weight room. They had that, they had much worse food and then they were given much less gear for the tournament. So because of that, a lot of athletes came out and and spoke on their their thoughts and the obvious, I guess, discrepancy between the men's and women's side of the tournament. I want to get a thought, your thoughts on the whole situation. So Kali, what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I was I was just watching, uh, you know, reading the comments on YouTube and Twitter and people were like just saying, oh, nobody watches women basketball anyway, so they don't need the equipment. But I just like it's just the women, they just want equitable treatment. Like it's just it's not really that serious. So I think the NCAA, they're a nonprofit organization that's making billions of dollars off of these athletes. It's a shame that they can't just provide the same amount of equipment, you know, weight room equipment, food. 
they can't provide that amount with, you know, billions of dollars that they're making off their players. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it's it's we've been having this conversation for almost 20 years at this point. I think I don't it's come to a point in time where we just need we just really need to start treating women as equals. I um like Khalid said, I read the comments all the time. Oh, women don't want watches women's basketball, this and that, but it's it's honestly to a point where women's basketball is more fundamentally sound and better to watch if you're really trying to learn footwork than men's basketball. So I really think I really think we need to give these women the credit the credit that's due for them and we need to really just start treating them like the athletes they are. And this is the 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 good thing about social media. This brought it to light. And because of the outcry, the NCAA they they backed down and gave them a, a nice weight room. So because of that, I mean, it shouldn't have taken this much to really bully them into giving them what they deserve because these teams played hard all season and they made it into the NCAA tournament. And they should be celebrated. They should be treated as such. And just because the, the argument is just because they, they don't draw as much viewership or they don't make as much money doesn't mean that they're as valuable as the men. They, they, they are equally, it could even be more because of the, the ground, the, the barriers they break every single time they get on that floor. So um, I was very happy to see a lot of NBA players and a lot of people of, of high positions really come out and support them. And I want, I want to continue that. And hopefully the NCAA can not try to pull this fast one on them and not try to sweep this under the rug and feel like nobody would notice when it's very obvious and very glaring. Um, so we saw that and, and I'm really glad that the NCAA was able to give them what they needed. And now as we are kind of wrapping up here, I want to get a sense of a little bit of spring, spring training talk. The MLB is days away from opening day. And with that spring training is in full swing. It's, it's coming to a close now. And, um, quickly here, uh, there's not much baseball talk that happens throughout the days. Um, between everyone, but I want to get a sense on some of your sleeper teams heading into the season. We saw a very weird season last year with only 60 games. This one's going to be 162 games. So, Chris, who are some of your sleeper teams heading to the season? Um, I like, I love the blue, I love the Brewers. I love their pitching duo. Um, very, very, very underrated team. Can't forget they have, they have Christian Yellick. Um, when, when you have him, you can do a lot of great things in the league. He um and I love the Nationals. You cannot forget they won. They won it all recently. So a lot of people are counting them out, which I think is honestly a big mistake. So those are my two sleeper teams. Yeah, I think I would agree with uh, Chris on the Nationals, but I think there's, obviously there's probably going to be like one or two teams that you know either exceed people's expectations or are just under the radar. I'll probably say the Los Angeles uh, Angels, you know, I think it's come to a point where, you know, Mike Trout and the Angels uh, need to be good, you know, and get to the playoffs again. I think they've made some good additions in the offseason, which they really needed, like a picture, like a pitcher. So uh, I think they're they're doing good so far. I mean, these are all very solid choices. We see the, the Brewers in a very tight division in the NL Central, which Anyone could win that division, honestly. They're, they're all very similar. 
Um, so that one's a good one. And Yelich is an MVP type player, so you can't really go wrong with him. And the Washington Nationals are the champions of the last time they played 162 games. So in 2019, they defeated the Astros in seven games. Great series. Um, and Juan Soto, that that kid, we might even talk about him in, in a second when we talk about best, you know, young stars. And the Angels, Mike Trout, best player in the game. Undoubtedly, one of the, he's going to go down as one of the best players of all time. You add Rendon, one of the best third basemen in the game. You have Shohei Otani, pitcher and batter. Doesn't really, we don't really see that. And he, in spring training, he showed lights out pitching and lights out batting. He might have a case for an MVP season this year. So these are all great choices. I like the St. Louis Cardinals due to their consistency year in and year out. They're very underrated. They're very, they're almost like the Spurs where they get to like the playoffs every year and um, they're very fundamentally sound. But they added, I believe, the best third baseman in the game, Aaron, uh, Nolan Arenado, um, platinum glove defense outstanding one of the best of all time and he's a home run hitter coming out of Colorado so the the Cardinals stole him they got him for a bag of chips and I feel like that puts him at the top of that NL Central division um it's going to be different and we have Jack Flaherty uh, as your pitcher he's he's he showed really good stuff last time out so really like them but now talking about some young stars they are scattered all throughout baseball Baseball is very young right now, very hip, very flashy. And Kali, I want to come to you first when I ask, who are some, what, what are some of your favorite young stars? Who do you think is the top of the list of, of the younger players and the future generation of this league? Obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, shortstop for the Padres, probably one of the biggest young stars right now. Uh, I think he's just, you know, one of the most fun players to watch in baseball. You know, he signed a $300 million contract uh, with the Padres. So obviously they see some superstar potential in him. Um, you know, at 22 years old, I think he can improve tremendously. And another young star that I think who whose uh, competition is uh, Juan Soto from the Nationals. I think what he's done in the past three years has really been exceptional. Uh, I saw a stat. Uh, that ranked players with at least 1,000 plate appearances uh, through their 21 age season. And out of 77 players, Soto ranked 20, 23rd in batting average, fifth in on-base percentage, and fourth in slugging percentage. And, you know, we see players like MVP Mike Trout ahead of him. So I think Soto is probably some of the, probably one of the best hitters right now. And I think he could probably be a superstar you know, when he gets older. Yeah, I have to agree. I love Fernando Tatis Jr. I um I love Juan Soto. Gotta throw Christian Yelich in there. Gotta throw Aaron Judge in there if he can stay healthy. Um his hitting power is, is off the charts. So I really, I really love the, these players and I really feel like they can really take over the league in one to two years, honestly. Fernando Tatis Jr., he's my favorite player in the league and I've been I've been I had my eye on him ever since He's played in the Dominican League with his father, Fernando Tati Sr. Um, by the way, for those that don't know, Fernando Tati Sr. has this record of hitting two grand slams in one inning, which I feel like is probably never going to be broken. And I feel like the only player that can probably break it is his son, honestly, um, if he gets that opportunity. But Fernando Tati Jr., he has the swag. He has the flair. He ha he's electric. The kid, um, he just draws eyes wherever he is. And he's a really nice kid. So I've, I've seen him ever since he was in the minors. But love his play. Juan Soto. 
potentially an MVP within the next two years, honestly, with the Washington Nationals. He's such a great hitter and an outfield. He's, he's so mature for his age, already won a championship his rookie year with the Nationals in 2019. So Juan Soto, Fernando Tati Jr., um, you have players like Corey Seager in, um, in the Dodgers, Aaron Judge, and the list goes on and on and on. So the game is in good hands. Um, Tim Anderson uh, for the White Sox, love him. Um, but speaking of great players throughout, to wrap up the show, spring training is coming to an end. Opening day is coming to a start. Let's get a sense of World Series predictions. Chris, who do you think are going to be the final two teams in the World Series? Who's coming out on top? What do you think? I really, I really, really want this to happen. I really want to see the White Sox and the Dodgers in the World Series. I feel like the White Sox are arguably the best team in the league from top to bottom. Tim Anderson is his personality on and off the field is just electrifying. Um, obviously, Clayton Kershaw, um, Mookie Betts, you got all of them. It's just star power all around, and I really love to see that happen. I have the White Sox winning. I would probably also agree with uh, Chris on the White Sox, given that they have, you know, players like Jose Abro, who's, uh, you know, MVP, AL MVP, and is a stud. Um, they have so much offensive weapons and – the Dodgers, given that they're just the reigning World Series champs, I think they're they're the best in their division. I think signing Mookie Betts proved to be a good signing, and young players like uh, you know Dustin May, and they also have you know stars like Cody Bellinger. I think the Dodgers are still a top team. Personally, I, I just see Dodgers winning it over the White Sox. I think it will be a tough game. Probably they'll probably win in uh, six games. I think they, they've proved that they can get over the hurdle, the hurdle and win another World Series. Dodgers are stacked. I mean, they, they were the best team from start to finish last season, and they got better adding Trevor Bauer. You add the, the reigning Cy Young Award winner to a championship team, that usually calls for even more success. They probably, they, they, they're the best team to repeat. Um, what I think, the, my Yankees, they got to make it to a World Series at one point, and I feel like this got to be the year. Um, they've been plagued with injuries for as long as I can remember. And I, if they can stay healthy, they're making it to the World Series. They're the team to beat in the AL. The White Sox are very tough. I love the White Sox. They're very fun. They were like a year early last year. They're, they were playing so well with uh, Juan Mocada, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, the reigning MVP. But the Yankees have Luke Voigt led the league in home runs. Giancarlo Stanton, if he stays healthy, he's, he could hit easily 40 home runs minimum. Aaron Judge, same thing. Gabriel Torres can have a great season as well, and the pitching, Garrett Cole could strike out 300 players again. So, Yankees-Dodgers, Yankees in six. That's what I love to say. Hopefully, that's what it is. We'll see how that goes. But that will do it here for X's and Opinions. Thank you so much for tuning in to this weekend's episode of X's and Opinions. Remember to stay tuned to WSU Sports for more content as we have a bunch of stuff. And tune in next week for another edition of X's and Opinions, but for Chris Ellison, for Kali Smith, and our producer, Wilner Lewis, I am Ronnie Dress. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, please be safe and have a great day.